Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast. This is Solveig Brown, and today I am excited to be talking with Jim Gwaltney. Jim has held numerous senior executive leadership positions with Ford Motor Company in sales, marketing, operations, and finance. He oversaw multi-billion dollar operating budgets and led teams through transformational change and subsequent growth. Jim is a fantastic leader who has a talent for selecting the right people, building teams, and motivating and empowering managers to achieve exceptional results. He is also an expert in relationship building, networking, communication, and developing strategic partnerships. Since retiring from Ford, he founded the consulting firm Jake Waltney & Associates. Jim has several advanced degrees in finance, executive leadership, and strategic marketing, and he serves on multiple corporate and university boards. He has also been awarded an honorary doctorate degree by North Carolina AT&T State University in recognition of his community, philanthropic, and educational support. Jim is the author of The 20 Immutable Laws of Leadership, and he has been a mentor for Mentium for more than 25 years. Welcome, Jim. I am so glad to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. I was just sitting here trying to uh, figure out who you were talking about in that bio. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like me. Oh, you're too modest. So Jim, in your book, The 20 Immutable Laws of Leadership, you talk about the 20 fundamental must-dos of a manager, which helped you succeed in your career. How did you come up with these 20 laws? Well, you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of a battle, you just do things. You know, during my career, as I uh, undertook certain tasks or whatever, I'd write down things that worked, things that didn't work, things that were very successful, et cetera. I came up with a list of these 20 things. And uh, as you can see here on this little card, <laughs> you can't oh, see. Oh, I can see but, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I used to write them down. And in those days, you know, we had uh, regular typewriters. I'd write them on a piece of paper and I'd take them back and my secretary would type them up on a on an index card so I could to keep them. And this was one of the index cards. It only has about 12 of them on there. And I had a couple of others. This was the only one I could find last night when we were gonna, when I found out we were gonna do this, uh, this interview. But that's basically it. It was just everyday things that you do, that you find successful, that uh, help you do the job. Yeah, that is great. And then you decided to compile them in a book. So yeah, it's a great book. Um, can you talk about some of the laws that you think are especially important? Well, you know, um, it's hard to prioritize them because you use them whenever you need them. So one may be important one day, another may be important another day. But I think the most important one is knowing how to manage people. And uh, part of managing people is motivating them. And uh, one of the things I talked about and I talked to mentees about is motivating employees versus intimidating them. And we all have a, a tendency to intimidate employees to do things. I mean, not physically, but mentally. Uh, we're gonna fire you, we're not gonna promote you, we're not gonna give you a parking space near the door, whatever. And when we, intimid when we intimidate people, they tend to do exactly or try to do exactly what we tell them to do, 100% of what we tell them to do. But if you have 10 people doing tasks, 
and only eight can do can hit their objective and two can't for some reason, you as a group or as a team won't be able to hit your objective. But when you motivate people to do things, everybody puts out their maximum effort, whether it's 90% or 120%. So if you have eight people that do over their objective and then two people that can't for some reason, you still hit your objective as a team. So it's, it's for the betterment of the team it's for the betterment of the employees and it works a lot better. We don't think so going in that it will work better, but it does when you motivate people to do things versus intimidate them. Uh, the other thing that I always tell mentees is that they have to learn how to delegate. And most of us in our careers came up through chimneys. We started in marketing and we rose to senior levels in marketing. We started in finance, we rose to senior levels in finance or whatever. So we always think that we can do the job below us or two levels below us better than anyone else. And we hate to give up the authority, but we have to learn how to delegate uh, and not just delegate the assignments, but with it, we have to delegate the authority, the financial resources, the human resources for people to do their jobs. Um, Another example that, that I would give is if you're working at uh, 110% of capacity, but you have nine other people that are working at 90% of capacity, that group is performing better and getting better results than you working at 110%. So you have to delegate the responsibility to other people in your organization. On that side, on the other side, <laughs> I always, always said it was about who owns the stress. When you try to do everything yourself, you own 100% of the stress. When you delegate assignments and authority, you delegate the stress with it. And you know, stress is one of the uh, main reasons that a lot of executives burn out earlier than uh, they anticipated. I guess the third thing, and these aren't in, any specific order, and it's not all of them that I would like to cover, but just the three. The other one is I talked to mentees about being able to transition from an employee that's task-driven, that's rewarded based on how well they do things, how timely it is, et cetera. They get recognition, they get bonuses, they get promotions, and then they are promoted to manager. And they tend to do the same thing. They tend to chase tasks and to uh, want to do everything themselves. And it's hard to get them to transition to, now that you're a manager or you're an executive, you're managing people who actually manage the task. And you're not micromanaging the people, you're delegating to the people and the people are doing the, the tasks that they're supposed to do. Um, and it's very hard to get new executives to do that, to give up, just the urge to do tasks. You know, I often tell them that uh, managers manage things and leaders lead people. And it's very hard for, that to, for them to make that transition. So those are probably the three things that, that I talk to mentees about when I, when I, first, when I first meet them. 
Yeah, and one of the things I've heard you talk about too is that when you start letting go of those tasks, you really have to build in that time for vision and strategy. And that becomes the most important part of your job. Can you talk a little more about that? Well, sure. I mean, you know, employees do tasks, managers manage people and tasks, and executives are supposed to be the visionaries and the strategists of the company. I mean, managers focus on best practices, how well to do the job, how efficient to do it. And you have to do that because you have to make money today in order to have a future. But executives concentrate on the future of the business, on the future of the industry. And, and they just can't do that if they're bogged down in the day-to-day -day operations of, of the business. I think the example I use a lot is Henry Ford, when he was asked uh, if he got customer input on vehicles early on. And he said, well, no, because if I ask customers what they wanted, uh, they would want faster horses and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, wooden wheels that didn't clunk or something because they didn't know what they wanted. And the point is the visionary sees what customers want and need in the future or sees where the business is going to go in the future. The visionary or the executive of the company, let's say Henry Ford, saw that uh, automobiles were the future, whereas the people that were managing the horse and buggy business saw that we need to make this business better and make more money at it. But they were doing their jobs. They were managers managing tasks and the visionary was looking ahead at the future. So uh, that's, that's what I mean when I, when I say that. Right, and then building time within your day to do that, to think about the strategy and the vision. I think one of the examples I used was, uh, I used to have a boss, Ken Whipple, he's still around, so if he hears this, he'll probably remember it. But he was vice chairman of the board and he was my boss. And every morning we'd go to breakfast in the company, uh, eating facility. And uh, first thing in the morning, 7 a.m., 7.30, he'd start talking about things that had been reported in the London Financial Times and Barron's and the Wall Street Journal. And I'm sitting there thinking, how does he know all of this? So one morning I asked him, I said, Ken, how do you know this, this, and this? He says, well, I get in early and I sit at my desk and I read through this publication, that publication, and I put on the you know, the uh, CNBC or whatever the, uh, the uh, local network is. And I gather all the information. And I said, well, Ken, if I did that in the morning, if I sit back, put my feet up on the desk and read the newspaper, I would think that people thought I was slacking off. And he says, well, you haven't fully transitioned yet. When you fully transition, you realize that that is your job to know what's going on to know how the industry is going, to know how business is going and where it's going. And that's how you should start your day. So that's what I tell um, mentees too, that uh, you have to know where your business is going and uh, how you're gonna get there. 
That is a great story and, and such a good example of making that mental transition as you get promoted. In your book, you noted that one of the major problems associated with being promoted to becoming a manager or executive level is that employees and even lower level managers stop talking to you or they tell you what you think they want to hear or what they think you want to hear. How do you get past this issue? Well, you know, um, when you move into executive ranks, sometimes there's formal training, sometimes there's informal training, sometimes there's informal advice. And, and one of the things you're advised a lot is that you need to keep a distance between yourself and your employees. You need to be the executive, they need to be the employees. And that's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is you need to be approachable, affordable, and supportive of your managers and, and, uh, and their employees. And, and I'm sure the, the right answer is somewhere in the, in the middle. But the reason I give you those two examples is if you're that strict by the book executive, employees will be reluctant to talk to you about trivial things. And trivial things might be in a meeting not understanding the exact assignment and then going off doing three or four different things and two of them are wrong. So they may not want to ask that executive for advice. They may not want to tell that executive the truth because they may feel they're gonna get uh, castigated. Whereas on the other hand, the executive is affordable that goes through softball games, the company softball games, you know, attends functions with the employees, uh, you know, still has a professional relationship, but it's easy to talk to, is different. You know, in a meeting, if someone were to say to him, I mean, if he were to say to someone doing a poor presentation, your presentation is kind of poor, you need to work on it, the employees would go back and work on it. You have to have that demeanor where employees can tell you, I mean, don't whine to you and, and expect you to solve your problem but they can tell you the issues truthfully and not fear uh, being castigated. They can ask you questions and they can get uh, good direction. So that's the dichotomy between the two types of, uh, of executives. And the reason I say that is that um, we often think of the strict executive as the right executive. Uh, they're kind of aloof. They're uh, purely objective and I mean, they just tell it like it is. And sometimes that doesn't draw out employees to talk to them. And, and it's, it's an issue with employees, but it's more of an issue with managers because when you reach the managerial or the executive level, it's sort of a lonely place because you can't talk to your subordinates about issues really other than job related, because uh, you have to keep them motivated. So you can't talk to them about the direction of the company or if this is right or that, because you have to keep them motivated. You can't talk to your peers <laughs> about issues <laughs> because they may use them to come back later to <laughs> get a better job than you or stab you in the back or something like that. And you can't talk to uh, your superiors a lot of times about your issues because you may think your superiors may think you're weak or your superiors may think, well, that's what they're paying you to do to solve those problems or whatever. So it's a pretty 
you know, unique position you're in when you get about midway or two thirds of the way up the ladder. That is great advice, Jim. You have held senior level positions in sales and marketing. What strategies have helped you be successful? Well, I, I think um, sort of seems like you repeat yourself over and over because you know everything is interrelated. But first of all, you have to be confident at what you do. I mean, if, if you don't know your business or if you don't study your business and you're not confident, you're not going to be too successful. Uh, you have to be dedicated, put in the time, put in the effort. Uh, you have to be reliable. And, and these things sound like trivial things. You know, you'd expect an answer to come from a, a college textbook written by a PhD says these things correlate to this, but sometimes it's the simplest thing. You know, I say reliable, but you know, you want to be that employee who is fourth down with one second on the clock, one foot to go for a touchdown, and you say, coach, give me the ball. Now, how many people would want that person on their team? I mean, so that's, those are the things that, that make you indispensable that attitude and that dedication and, 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 you know, the basis to everything is you've got to be confident though, know your business and, and, and execute it properly. That is great advice, Jim. One of the things you alluded to in one of your previous answers was navigating organizational politics. This is an area that many people struggle with. What is your advice to mentees on how to do this? Well, the first thing I tell them is that politics, not uh, national politics, but politics within a company is just as important as any other, other aspect of their performance. Just as important because the politics will get you resource allocation within a company. Uh, it'll get you project approval within a company. It will get you different assignments. It'll get you different human resources and all of that. So you have to look at it as, a, uh, as one of the things that go into a successful uh, career. And most mentees acknowledge that they don't look at politics as a uh, part of uh, career progression. And politics involves uh, being known by your executives networking with your executives, um, you know, attending events, talking to them, uh, being outspoken, being creative, and uh, uh, volunteering for whatever you can volunteer for so that you can get known by the executives within the company. Because it's a lot easier for executives to approve things or projects if they know the individuals that they're approving them for. Yep, so figuring out all those strategies you can take to get mm -hmm. known. So you have taken risks in your own career and you have also encouraged the people you mentor to take risks. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us why it is so important to get out of your comfort zone? Well, uh, it's important because when you stop progressing, you kind of stagnate. When you stagnate, you kind of die. So the first thing I ask mentees is, what's your career aspirations? And if they say it's, uh, 
I'm good where I am, I'm comfortable, then, you know, we kind of have a different discussion. But so far, I've never had a mentee say that. Um, they've all had career aspirations and they've all wanted to progress within the organization. Yeah, that's just as important to get out of your comfort zone. So Jim, you have been a mentor for Mentium for more than 25 years. How did you get involved with Mentium and what has this experience been like for you over these years of working with mentees? Well, it's been a uh, terrific experience. I've learned a lot more from the mentees than they've learned from me because in all of our sessions with mentees, you know, they always come up with the answer. You know, one thing I often say to them is you always know the answer. Period. You know the answer because you're closer to the business than anyone else. And, you know, you may not be able to do it for whatever reason, but you know the answer. So I've learned more from the mentees than they could have ever learned from me. I've learned uh, TV manufacturing. I've learned uh, healthcare business. I've learned neural networks, on and on and on from the different mentees. As, as I said before, it started out a long time ago when it was a program for female executives. And within Ford, uh, we had you know, a certain level of female executives and I mentored a lot of them. And my uh, boss, uh, a guy named Bob Rui said to me that he was aware of this program, Mentium, that uh, mainly mentored female executives and or to participate. So that's how I got started in the program. And back in the day, uh, at the beginning of every program, they would bring all the mentors and the mentees into a big session to introduce one to another. And uh, that's how I started. Wow, that's a great story. Um, Jim, we have time for three final questions. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's preparation, uh, preparation in terms of, you know, education, but that's sort of a given when you're hired, but continuing education, whether it's an executive program or whether it's strategic programs at various universities. So, so being prepared, uh, like that old saying goes, chance favors the prepared mind. So being, being, being prepared, uh, being competent, doing the best you can, knowing what you want to do. You know, I often tell the mentees that uh, they should always have an elevator speech. And they go, well, why? I said, because one day you're going to meet a senior executive in an elevator and he's going to say, hey, you did a great job on that presentation or so. Uh, what do you want to do next? And you're going to say, oh, uh, uh, uh. so, uh, and they go, well, I know what I want to do. And then you say, well, what? And they say, and they give you a 30 minute dissertation on what they want to do. And I go, well, the elevator is only about 30 seconds <laughs> or a minute or two. So you need to, uh, so you need to know what you want to do and when you want to do it and, uh, and be good at what you do and be dedicated. Yeah. And be ready for that elevator pitch at any second. I like that. What would your advice be to up and coming leaders? Be prepared, be willing to change, be willing to uh, not do the things you've done in the past and take on new responsibilities and new roles. And if you're not extroverted, uh, be prepared 
to become extroverted, however you do that, because that's part of networking, that's part of the political process of getting things done in a company. And that's about it. I mean, if you're competent and you're uh, extroverted and outgoing and political and you know your business and you're creative and you're a risk taker, I mean, if you're all of those things, unless the next promotion goes to the owner's brother-in-law or something, you're probably going to get it. <laughs> that is good advice. And then do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? No, we kind of talked about that. I really don't. But, you know, on my little card, I had about four things that I often talked to when I was an executive at Ford that I often talk to uh, uh, junior executives about or managers about. And I always talk to mentees about now. And I just tell them about them and then let them formulate their own opinion. So I don't have one, but on my card I had, do the little things, the big ones will get done. And that's kind of self-explanatory because we tackle big things but we kind of let the little ones pile up and the little holes can sink a boat as well as the large ones. Um, I always tell them do the right thing. Uh, we have a propensity sometimes to do the easy thing or the thing that's easily sold or politically correct or whatever, and we don't do the right thing. But usually when you do the right thing, it's easier to defend it and it's easier to sell it. And you feel a lot better afterwards. Um, I always tell them to require a lot, but demand very little. And in doing that, you work harder to get things done. When you demand a lot, uh, people know what you need, know what you want, but you don't require it. Uh, they do it because they want to do it. They, you know, in that old phrase, they'll take a bullet for you. When you're an executive that managers and employees say they'll take a bullet for, then you really have a relationship uh, as a team that will get the job done. And then the other one is, I'm looking down the list here, I don't have them in order, have a plan, not a program. And a lot of people have plans to solve every problem in the world, but they don't have a, uh, I mean, have a program to solve every problem, which is sort of like, band-aids, but they don't have a plan, which is long range and strategic to handle the problem. So I tell them that. I tell them that uh, identify problems, not symptoms. Uh, most of the issues that were brought to me when I was the executive were symptoms. This, 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 and this. And you always say, well, what's the problem? If you solve the problem, the symptoms will go away. If you solve the symptoms, the problem's still there and it'll reoccur. And the last one, I know I'm talking more than you allow you allot it, but um, uh, the last one I mentioned before that uh, managers manage things and leaders lead people. And uh, as an executive, you are a leader more than anything. Uh, you're not a tasker, you're not a doer, you're not a worker, you're a leader, you're a visionary and uh, a strategist. 
Jim, that is all really good advice. So thank you so much for sharing, you know, your wisdom that you've gained over this career that you've had. Um, thanks for all the great leadership advice and sharing the strategies with us today. I especially like the reminder to people as they move up in an organization to learn how to delegate with authority, motivate employees, and, and graduate from completing tasks to taking the time to focus on strategy and vision because that is the job of a, of a leader. I also appreciate your advice on the importance of learning to navigate organizational politics. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Um, I know I ram ramble on a lot, but uh, <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're talking to a mentee, you have more time to get into things and tell stories. Sometimes the stories give gives context to what you're saying and makes it a little bit more believable and doable. Oh, it was perfect. You are a great person to interview because you've just got such great advice of really good, you know, solid leadership ideas. And I really like that distinction of as you're moving up, you have to change your mindset and you have to change your habits. And then what got you to where you are basically focusing on the tasks isn't going to work as you're a leader. And I think that's a, that's a really important distinction. I don't think people necessarily, it's not intuitive. You think, well, I should just keep doing the same thing. So I really like how you're able to talk about that and, and emphasize that. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, you get promotions or you get whatever you get for whatever reason, but above and beyond everything else, you have to be confident. I remember back in the 90s, or late 80s or whatever, there were all these black movies, action movies, and Wesley Snipes got roles in a lot of them. And a 60 Minutes reporter said to him one time, man, you're lucky that you came along at the right time when all these movies were being made and you got cast in all these parts. And he looked at the reporter and said, yeah, I was the best qualified. So you've gotta be qualified and you gotta be confident regardless of uh, what promotions you get or what opportunities you get. And you can't forget that. Right. Yeah, that is really good advice. Well, Jim, we so appreciate at Mentium all that you've done to mentor women, all that you've done to mentor the the. the, the the men that you've mentored in these past few years mm -hmm. too. And, you know, just that the generosity of your spirit to mm -hmm. share what you have with people and to commit to helping people do better in their career and get better and, you know, become more successful, you know, and it's just is a, a really, you know, wonderful gift that you've used your experience mm -hmm. to and share it with others. So thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to this Mentium Matters podcast. We have many great guests lined up, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For additional resources, you can find show notes on the Mentium website. I look forward to having you all back next time.